Thank you and welcome to Scripture on Creation. I'm Scott Kump. And I'm Dr. Ben Scripture. Dr. Scripture, in today's program, you want to talk about the importance of the meaning of words whenever we're trying to determine what Scripture says. Yes, Scott. Now, that may seem pretty obvious, (laughs) but it is actually something we cannot simply take for granted because the ways words are used and their meaning definitely change over time. And in our world of unlimited communications and social media and just the multiplication of words Mm. everywhere you go, the meaning of a word can be quickly distorted. True. Then there is also the prevailing principle in our culture that literature, for example, the Bible or the Constitution or whatever you want to talk about, is a breathing, living thing. That usually comes from people who want to kill those living, breathing things. Well, yeah, (laughs) want to change them, right? And that it's not some static entity with an absolute meaning, but its meaning adapts to the current mindset. Would that be one of the things that contribute to cultural relativity? Well, for sure, which results in moral relativity and ultimately anti-absolutism. Think about how does an absolute principle or law get stated? Well, it's written with words (laughs) that have specific and defined meanings. Now, if you're going to change the meaning of one of those principles or laws, you can just change the words in it, or you can keep the same words, but assign different meanings to those Mm. words. And when the meanings of words change, it's not as obvious that they've been changed as when the words themselves are changed. And so this is one reason why over a period of time, for example, a new translation of the English Bible is a good thing to have. Now, I'm not necessarily advocating that we've been in need of the host of English translations published lately. It does seem like there are an awful lot of them, and sometimes it gets a little confusing. But when the goal is having the intended meaning of the words of the authors of Scripture clearly conveyed in the meaning of the words used in our Bibles today, that is a worthy goal. And it is critical to our understanding of the meaning of the unchanging Word of God. And, Dr. Scripture, it isn't a far-fetched idea, even though the Bible was written anywhere from 3,500 to 2,000 years ago. Well, no. But do you remember the debate a couple of years back between Bill Nye and Ken Ham? Uh, Yeah, if we want to call it a debate. (laughs) (laughs) Well, anyway, something Bill Nye kept alluding to was the idea that we can't really determine what the Bible means or what it meant, Mm -hmm. because it was thousands of years old. Over and over again, he said that. (laughs) And it was this ancient document that needed to be translated into modern language, as though that was some impossible task. Yeah, I do remember that, and I had wished over and over again that Ken would have said something about that, the fact that we have thousands of manuscripts. We can be very, very certain Mm -hmm. of what that Hebrew was and what that Greek was and understand how to translate that into the modern meaning. But Bill Nye's objection seemed to be based on the idea that good translation of old literature was impossible. And that's just wrong. Mm. The main thing you need is a large sample size. The larger sample size you've got of any particular language, then the better you're going to be able to determine the meaning of specific words and the grammar and so on and so forth. And there is nothing even close to comparable to the number of manuscripts that we have of biblical versions. I think what I heard was that Julius Caesar's Gallic Wars, there's 12 manuscripts of that. (laughs) (laughs) If that. But nobody seems to question the meaning of those old translations of the Odyssey and Homer's Iliad and all that. But boy, the Bible, you'd think that we don't really know what it means. So anyway, when we study our English Bibles, 
we can be confident that if we read the word, for example, redeemed, a word we don't use the same way in our modern day, we still can know what it meant, what it means then and now. Yeah, and we spent a good portion of a recent program on the meaning of that very word, didn't we? Oh, yes, because we were wanting to make certain that if we understand it was necessary that Christ redeem all creation, we knew as best as possible what exactly he was doing. Hmm. Now, another example of an important word we use all the time on this show is the word create. And today I want to study in some detail the meaning of that word. And the reason is because of an interesting question I got the other day during a conversation with a friend. His name is Malcolm Skelton from Fort Lauderdale, Florida. And we were discussing the wonderful creation Psalm, Psalm 104. Mm. And in verse 30, it says this, quote, Thou dost send forth thy spirit, they are created, and thou dost renew the face of the ground, unquote. So the first question in our conversation was, is the word translated as created there, the Hebrew word bara? Well, the answer is yes, bara is the Hebrew word there. And so the next question was, what does bara mean right there? Hmm. Okay, Scott, so anytime you want to interpret the meaning of a specific word in a passage, what's one of the most important things to do? Well, I'd say look at the whole passage. In other words, look at the context. Good answer. The major determinant of the meaning of a word is going to be its context, because actually most words can have more than one clear-cut meaning. So you're going to determine the specific nuance or whatever meaning that word may take in that situation by the context we find the word, the sentence, the paragraph. So let's go back and look at other verses surrounding the one we read in Psalm 104.30, and something interesting emerges. So Scott, you go ahead and read Psalm 104, starting at verse 24, all the way through verse 30. Okay, and I'm reading from the New King James Version. O Lord, how manifold are your works. In wisdom you have made them all. The earth is full of your possessions. This great and wide sea in which are innumerable teeming things, living things both small and great. There the ships sail about. There is that Leviathan which you made to play there. These all wait for you, that you may give them their food in due season. What you give them, they gather in. You open your hand, they are filled with good. You hide your face, they are troubled. Hmm. You take away their breath, they die and return to their dust. You send forth your spirit, they are created. And you renew the face of the earth. Thanks, Scott. Now, in your own words, what would you say the psalmist is describing in these verses? I mean, you know, overall, what's the general thing he's talking about here? Well, he mentions lots of things, but yeah. one main idea that comes to my mind is it sounds like he's describing, I guess, the cycle of life and saying God controls it. Oh, I agree. I think that is the overall sense of the passage. It describes the life, death, and renewal of life on earth. And of course, God is in control of this whole amazing process. And I might add so much for the heretical doctrine of deism that mm. says God isn't involved at all, right? But, you know, as we know, that's how God originally made all these marvelous ecosystems and creatures to live. That's not something that's new to each generation. 
Way back at creation, God created, as it says, the various kinds to reproduce after their own kind and fill the earth. And of course, that's going to involve animals and plants going through a life cycle, living, dying, and then new creatures sprouting up. And so in the world today, we don't see nor do we think of God creating new fish or new herds of animals when the older ones die, right? Right. I mean, creation, the word translating bara, meaning God was making things out of nothing, was what God did back in Genesis 1. But here, in Psalm 104, verse 30, we read the word bara, which is accurately translated created. And I don't think we are to understand that it means every spring, God out of nothing creates new organisms to renew the earth. We know that just isn't the case. And so a good question to ask here is, what does the word bara that we've translated created mean here? Now, one of the things I've said many times about the word bara is it has as its main meaning to create out of nothing. And so in Genesis 1-1, we use that meaning to support the idea that God created the whole universe. We use the term ex nihilo, out of absolutely nothing, something even the secular scientists agree with. Although they don't very often give the credit to God. Well, that's true. (laughs) But even though Barah does have that sense in its meaning, I think this verse in Psalm 104, and we're going to see some others, shows us that it's not an ironclad rule, and thus 100%, no matter what, if we come across the word bara in the Hebrew Old Testament, we must understand that the author is intending to convey the absolute idea of creation out of nothing. The word has a wider range of use. Shaped by context. Absolutely. And so, actually, Scott, the way the New American Standard Bible translates bara bears that out very clearly. Listen to the different English words used to translate bara. It's translated brings about. It's translated clear, create six times, created 32 times, which makes sense. I mean, that's Mm. the main sense of the word. Creates, creating, creator four times, cut down. Listen to that, cut down, yeah, make and produced. And so what we need to understand is with that breadth of meaning, sometimes even when it's translated created, it doesn't necessarily mean out of nothing. Let me read its translation in Exodus 34, verse 10. Then God said, Behold, I'm going to make a covenant before all your people. I will perform miracles which have not been produced. That's Mm. the word bara. So it could be translated, which have not been created in all the earth. But a much better sense is the way it's translated there, which have not been produced. Or another way we might say it is, have not been brought about or caused to happen. Here's another use of the word, Numbers 1630. But if the Lord brings about an entirely new thing, brings about is the translation of bara. Again, it could say, but if the Lord creates an entirely new thing. But this is talking about when God said that the Korites, because they rebelled against Moses, were going to get swallowed up by the earth. You know, <laughs> So that was something very new. It says, but if the Lord brings about an entirely new thing and the ground opens its mouth and swallows them up with all its airs and they descend alive into Sheol, then you will understand that these men have spurned the Lord. So the sense isn't creating something out of nothing. It's like causing something to happen or bring something into being. 
Joshua 17, 15 says, And Joshua said to them, If you are a numerous people, go up to the forest and clear a place for yourself. Hmm. Clear a place is bara. Hmm. Now, we could say create a place for yourself, but it's more the sense of doing something that causes, in this case, you to, to make a place that's open, that's clear. And finally, one other use of the word that actually we see God expanding upon the meaning to make it clear that there's a lot of different ways to understand what it means when he's talking about creating is Isaiah 43, 6. I will say to the north, give them up. What he's doing, by the way, is he's talking about bringing the Israelites back to the promised land. I will say to the north, give them up. And to the south, do not hold them back. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth, everyone who is called by my name and whom I have created, Barah, for my glory, whom I have formed, Yatsar, even whom I have made, Asah. Three different Hebrew words, all meaning the same thing. This is something that God has made, formed, created. What God is doing is he's using all these different words to make it clear. He's the one responsible for, in this case, bringing Israel into existence, and he's going to finish what he started with them. And so sometimes when we want to know the meaning of a word, we'll tend to maybe be a little too restrictive because it makes it simple. But we've got to make sure that we allow Scripture to speak for itself and the intended meaning of the author to determine what we understand a word to mean. And so we understand from the Bible that God made a people for his own possession. He created them. He made them. He formed them. They're his to do with as he will. Here in this passage that you read, Scott, Psalm 104, verse 24, we're reminded, O Lord, how manifold are your works. In wisdom you have made them all. The earth is full of your possessions. And that's not what I say. That's what Scripture says.